Let's foray into Nevada's wild spaces. This is a half an hour adventure with the Nevada Department of Wildlife. This is Nevada Wild. Here on this Welcome to Nevada Wild, brought to you by the Nevada Department of Wildlife. I'm your host, Ashley Sanchez, joined, as usual, by co-host Aaron Keller. And today's a big day for us because we have the one and only Tony Wosley, the director of the Nevada Department of Wildlife, joining us today. Welcome, Tony. Thanks, Ashley. Aaron, always a great opportunity to come in and converse with you guys, share a little bit about what's going on at the Department of Wildlife. It's always good to have you, and I think it's been, it may have been a year now that it's been since you've been in here. It's been a while, so we were due to get you back in here. And what a time. We just finished 2019. We're less than a week into the new decade, so we have a lot going on, and it really all started, I mean, we had some major things happen in 2019 that are going to impact us and have cut out some work for us moving forward. Um, I guess we could start with one of the major things that we saw in 2019 was recovering America's Wildlife Act, Tony, which it was reintroduced, correct, in 2019? Yeah, 2019 uh, was the third Congress in a row that Recovering America's Wildlife Act uh, was introduced. There were some changes in the most recent version, and it appears that those changes uh, have been viewed favorably because we have more uh, co-sponsors in Congress. This is in the House of Representatives. More co-sponsors in Congress than the previous two Congresses. Presently, there's 162 bipartisan co-sponsors, and it, it came out of committee um, by a pretty impressive 26 to 6 vote, and the next stop will be the, the House floor. Very big deal, and we actually had our um, the the administrator for our diversity division, Jen Newmark, a few weeks back who explained this bill. So we encourage you to listen to that podcast. But could you recap people on why this is so important for our agency? What would happen if this bill was to pass? So Recovering America's Wildlife Act is really all about keeping common species common. Each state has a state wildlife action plan, which is a federally approved plan. It's approved by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. And Nevada's State Wildlife Action Plan covers 256 different species and 22 habitat types. So uh, Nevada has almost 900 commonly occurring species. 256 of those are in our State Wildlife Action Plan. Recovering America's Wildlife Act would provide approximately $1.4 billion nationally to state wildlife agencies to go towards implementation of their state wildlife action plans to keep common species common. Uh, there's also some really unique aspects to this legislation. Uh, up to 15% can be used for wildlife conservation education, up to 15% um, combined between conservation education and, and recreation can be used unlimited for law enforcement activities as it relates to the wildlife action plan. So enforcement related to mule deer, bighorn sheep, sage grouse, lahontan cutthroat trout, which are all species covered in that plan, um, could also uh, be be paid for. So um, it's it's a pretty exciting opportunity. Really could change uh, the face of how we fund conservation in, in this country. 
it's huge. And I think it impacts people who may not even realize that it impacts them. Like you said, it's education, law enforcement, it goes into so much. So it really is an exciting thing moving forward. And like you said, it now needs to go, it still has to go to the house floor and we're still asking people to show their support. So just head to ournatureusa.com and it's already a letter there. All you have to do is type your name in and you sign that letter showing your support. So there's still time to do that. Um, another big thing, which this conversation really leads into is the relevancy roadmap. Um, because right now we're, right now the way our current funding model is, is it's, we want to make sure it's sustainable. And this funding that we get out of raw would, would help us do that. But we also have this huge challenge of staying relevant, which is where this relevancy roadmap comes in. So do you want to get into this? Sure, <laughs> sure. Really, the uh, Recovering America's Wildlife Act and the relevancy roadmap uh, were both products of a blue ribbon panel that was assembled by the National Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies. So five years ago, uh, just over five years ago now, back in September of 2014, the Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies commissioned a blue ribbon panel. That blue ribbon panel was really a unique assemblage of a diverse group of individuals from the oil and gas industry, automotive industry, outdoor recreation, retail and manufacturing. Uh, there were private landowners, educational institutions, conservation organizations, sportsmen's groups, and there was one uh, state director from a state wildlife agency. Those individuals worked pretty diligently uh, to come up with a couple recommendations. And recommendation number one was to uh, have a predictable, sustainable funding model uh, to keep common species common. And that's where Recovering America's Wildlife Act originated. The second recommendation was to look at changing societal views on wildlife and how state wildlife agencies could uh, adapt to changing views in society. How can state wildlife agencies engage a broader constituency and in doing so enhance our ability to deliver conservation on the ground? So <clears throat> Recovering America's Wildlife Act, as I said, was introduced um, for the third Congress in a row, but has by far more support and has made it further this Congress than either of the previous two. Um, and the relevancy roadmap was just recently unveiled uh, this past September, September of 2019. And that relevancy roadmap is, is really uh, a, a guidance uh, document for state wildlife agencies to explore how to become uh, more relevant to more citizens around the country. And each and every state has different uh, hurdles, different barriers. Uh, and so it isn't uh, the same map uh, to the same place for every agency, but uh, we envision, you know, identifying where we have some, some, of, the some of the significant barriers um, to engaging broader constituencies and, and using this roadmap uh, to help us navigate a course to be, being more relevant to a broader constituency. So all of these really tie in with our overall goal. So that's why it was it was a huge year. Both of these 
came about, well, like you said, Rawa was reintroduced in 2020 and this relevancy roadmap, it's actually available for the public to view, right? Um, I think that was just completed in 2019. Yeah, it was just uh, unveiled and it's available on the uh, the web page for the Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies. Um, I, I don't. I don't have that. Um, we'll put a. We could put a link for people to view okay. in the description of this. But Beautiful. Like we're saying, it's a huge year. All of these tying in together. And one thing that I thought was interesting is people view uh, Nevada as this rural, this big rural state with tons of public land, but it's actually a very urban state. It is um, arguably the most urbanized state in the country. We have the largest percentage of our citizens living in large towns or cities, uh, you know, primarily Las Vegas, Henderson, uh, Reno, Carson areas uh, of any of any state in the country. And, you know, that brings some interesting challenges with it. And, you know, I. I've heard, uh, you know, some people express concern over engaging broader constituencies. Why do we, you know, why do we want to uh, include, you know, people that might, you know, think different than ourselves or, or what's going to happen to the people who, you know, created the department and funded the department and, and paid for everything the way that it is. And I think it's, it's really, really important uh, for us to continue to dance with the ones who brung us. Um, and I, I say that frequently because you know we've we basically have a tremendous amount of success in managing restoring uh, our state's wildlife that has been you know built on the shoulders of of those those folks who have paid for the opportunity to recreationally pursue uh, game and fish in our state and it, it really speaks to the challenge of having um, this really broad statutory charge. The Nevada Department of Wildlife has the statutory responsibility to manage 895 commonly occurring species. However, we generate an overwhelming disproportionate majority of our funds from a disproportionately small number of our citizens. And so for us to be able to continue to effectively conserve species not only do we need to continue to dance with the ones who brung us uh, but having a broader awareness uh, of who we are what we do how we do it uh, is really important it's not only important in terms of uh, receiving uh, support and funding from our state legislature but also from congress and federally the the role of state wildlife agencies uh, throughout this country is a greatest story never told. And, and we're trying to do a, a better job of telling that story so that we can do both, give credit where credit is due in the, in the tremendous recovery and success stories, um, as well as taking care of all of those other species for all the other citizens. It's a lot. We have a lot on our shoulders. <laughs> I'm <laughs> just can, sitting over here just yeah, nodding my head. Like the Department of Wildlife is in a, in, a, in a good spot because we're right in the middle of everything that's going on. We have a whole bunch of people moving to the state, which we could gain support from. And then we have the traditional Nevadans, the guys that have generation after generation lived here and have seen the state change. And so we, we kind of have that balance in between both those. I think it's pretty pretty interesting in a position that that we're in it is it is an exciting time and and there's some great opportunity i i i, I don't know um 
just can't say it enough or strongly enough how appreciative you know we we are as an agency of our traditional customers and, and constituencies and and when we look at the recovery of species and we look at what Nevada has done for bighorn sheep and bighorn sheep are more numerous in Nevada than they are in any other state in the lower 48 um, that's that's impressive um, and that's happened uh, through the conservation funding that has been provided uh, by sportsmen and women and when we look at the the Pittman Robertson Act and we look at the Dingle Johnson Act which are the federal excise taxes on on guns and ammo and fishing equipment respectively we're looking at nearly 30 billion dollars that has been contributed towards conservation in in the United States since their inception 30 billion dollars that doesn't include all the uh, all the expenditures on all the other equipment and the economic boost that's strictly 30 billion going directly towards management and conservation on the ground yeah billion with a b <laughs> with a b that's, <laughs> that's, that's no small amount for sure exactly well we are actually running out of time for the first half of the show but we have a lot more to cover you're going to want to keep listening to this we'll be right back after this quick break you're listening to nevada wild if you enjoy listening to our podcast, leave us a review on iTunes and SoundCloud. For more information on hunting, fishing, boating, and all things wildlife, go to endow.org. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Nevada Wild. Today we are with the one and only Tony Wosley, director of the agency. Kind of a big deal and kind of exciting to have him in here. Um, and we've been talking, we've looked back at 2019, some major things that happened that will impact us moving forward. Is there anything else you want to touch on, Tony, that happened in 2019 before we move forward? Um, I think maybe just noting uh, the significance of having a secretarial order uh, that acknowledges the importance of migration corridors. Um, secretarial order 3362 from the Secretary of Interior um, acknowledges the importance of corridors in uh, several western states, specifically for mule deer, pronghorn antelope, and elk. And to see migratory corridors connecting you know seasonal habitat summer range to winter range uh, is is significant it's something that we've been aware of for a long time as biologists but to have a secretary of interior call it out and provide financial resources to states to purchase you know gps collars to to better designate these areas only enhances our ability to protect them and so i think that's that's significant and uh, i think it's worthy of uh, a little shout out it is. And every time we post about just showing the work we've done on migratory quarters already, everyone is always like, I, I want to see one here. I want to see one here. What about here? That's the type of thing that's going to help us make this happen and yeah, keep doing awareness. these projects yep, in knowledge, more spots. Knowledge and awareness, absolutely. And having an order like this. So Yeah, and I remember excited. the first time that I saw the telemetry <clears throat> on a map. So the GPS caller on a map when it was showing kind of how we pick a spot. Right. So we don't just put the overpass out there and just hope the deer and the elk find it with I me. Mean, it's very 
step-by-step process to get to that point to put it in that spot yeah and i think this this is an area that you know the nevada department of wildlife has been aware of and sensitive to for a very long time and you look back 15 20 years and we were working with our partners at department of transportation uh trying to figure out ways to capture you know areas where we had high numbers of vehicle animal collisions um and now you know, fast forward 20 years, here we are with a, you know, national you know, secretarial order and funding, and we have GPS callers that can collect a point, you know, every minute or 10 minutes or, you know, and, and we can really narrow down where these specific areas are. They're being included in planning efforts, being, you know, built into infrastructure packages, you know, with our partners at, at departments of transportation and elsewhere to acknowledge the importance of these connections and you know preserve these these really important corridors that are so so valuable for so many species very true a lot of good stuff and then before we wrap up this part of the podcast where we've been looking back at 2019 one last thing i think worth mentioning is our wild harvest initiative which helps create a broader understanding of the role and importance of wild harvested foods. So Tony, do you want to um, talk on that a little bit more? Sure. Uh, The Wild Harvest Initiative uh, is an initiative that um, was put forward by Conservation Visions. uh, And Conservation Visions is uh, uh, an organization um, that's headed up by uh, Shane Mahoney and and what Shane and, and his folks at Conservation Visions have put forward in this Wild Harvest Initiative is the importance, trying to quantify the importance of, of wild harvested goods, um, whether it's berries or mushrooms or firewood or, well, you know, lean organic protein in the form of, you know, wild harvested animals. There is a tremendous value to North America and the Nevada Department of Wildlife has signed on to the Wild Harvest Initiative as a as a partner. And some of the data uh, that's that's been produced uh, already through this initiative is is really uh, pretty compelling. And I think there's there's a couple areas where where we're really focused on the value of wild harvest, uh, not only in in funding uh, conservation, where Again, we're, we've talked about our funding model a little bit, um, where when we look at, at federal excise taxes that have been paid just in the U.S. Um, on guns, ammunition, you know, hunting and fishing equipment, we're approaching $30 billion. Um, so people that are pursuing wildlife uh, for the purpose of providing a you know, lean, organic, healthy source of protein, uh, to themselves and their families are funding conservation to the tune of $30 billion, um, you know, since the inception of Pittman Robertson and Dingle Johnson. But additionally, they're sharing that harvest. They're sharing that harvest with their friends and their families. Um, and so there's, they're, they're spreading the benefits of those lean, you know, organic, healthy sources of protein uh, far and wide. I think one of the areas that's really interesting about wild harvest is when you think about the replacement costs. If we didn't have wild harvested uh, fruits, vegetables, uh, you know, protein, um, where would it come from? Well, it would come from traditional industrialized farming. And what would that traditional industrialized farming 
create in terms of habitat conversion or habitat loss? What would it create in terms of uh, you know runoff, nitrates uh, in, into the water supply? So uh, as a partner in the Wild Harvest Initiative, the Nevada Department of Wildlife is, is gleaning some pretty valuable insights to the economic and ecologic benefits of wild harvested uh, foods. And there's actually a great video that has been put together on this. I think if you just YouTube Wild Harvest Initiative, maybe I'll also include a link to that in the description. The, I can't talk right now. <laughs> the description of this podcast. Um, so you could check it out because that video was very well put together and explains this all. Um, but before moving on from Wild Harvest Initiative, you talked about how much those people that are harvesting wild game um, put into conservation. And I wanted to talk a little bit about, we've seen evidence of this because there's been a huge decline in bird populations, except in one area. Yeah, that's an excellent point. That's a really good example. There was a uh, report released in late 2019 that talked about the decline of, of North American birds. And Essentially, what that report showed is that over the last 50 years, since 1970, there's been a decrease of 2.9 billion birds. And we look at at those declines uh, based on the biomes, you know, kind of the the ecosystems in which those declines have occurred. And uh, those declines are pretty obvious in grasslands, uh, arid lands, the eastern forest, the western forest, but there's really uh, one area where there's been a significant increase, um, and that's in the wetlands, and that's the only area that we've seen an increase. And the bird populations um, have have shown significant growth um, in wetlands going back to the early 1990s. A lot of that um, is attributable to conservation efforts uh, through the North American Wetland Conservation Act, uh, organizations like Ducks Unlimited and Delta Waterfowl, California Waterfowl, Nevada Waterfowl here in, in the Silver State. Um, there's a lot of great conservation work that's, that's being done um, that allows those species dependent on wetlands to reverse the trend seen in all those other ecosystems. Exactly. So that's why all of these things that we've been talking about, Recovering America's Wildlife Act, Relevancy Roadmap, Wild Harvest Initiative, it's all so important. And what we do, they all really tie together. Absolutely. They're, they're all all kind of coming together at, at the same time. And, and looking at, at the response of wetland-dependent species uh, should provide people with a lot of hope that we can and have made a significant difference in areas where we have concentrated and focused efforts and funding and recovering america's wildlife act can help us get there uh and and really contribute to our our relevance with greater relevance uh have more support for things like recovering america's wildlife act with a greater awareness and and knowledge about the importance of connected habitats with more knowledge and awareness about the value of wild harvested foods and the funding that they pro provide and and the cost to replace them uh, should should we not have them. Um, I think it, it does tie everything together and really kind of portrays a clearer picture of where we are and where we're trying to go as a state wildlife agency. Very true. So, well, now that we've talked about all of that important stuff, it's time to spend these last few minutes we have looking forward into 2020 
before we know it, the big game application period is going to be here. Um, any big changes you want to tell hunters about or just anyone about um, that people have to look forward to? Well, I think most folks are probably already familiar with our new system. We've gone through two big game um, application periods with uh, with our new vendor and the new system. We're continuing to uh, add bells and whistles. You know, year one was kind of a, a bare bones skeleton uh, operation. We saw a lot of improvements in, in year two. Um, you know, our, our slogan, uh, you know, get online, get outside. We're, we're continuing to try to promote uh, the use of that system to, for license purchases and, and applications. And uh, one thing I'll point out, um, last year we went from a four-week application period to a six-week application period last year, which is all part of the department's kind of customer-first approach where we're uh, really trying to address, um, you know, our customer service, um, uh, you know, recognizing who we're here to serve, who our customers are, um, this year, we may be able to extend that even further since we've gone away from the paper applications. The amount of time required to key in those um, applicants' uh, information is, has decreased. So we may even have a longer period. Um, and although we're not making any uh, significant changes to the web page where people apply, uh, the department's web page, uh, we're, we're pursuing uh, some modernization of that. Uh, we're also going to be pursuing some simplification of regulations through the Commission, which we hope will uh, make it a little bit easier for folks to understand uh, our regulations, uh, make it easier for our law enforcement professionals to enforce those. But I think, you know, everything is really about that customer service approach, uh, simplification, modernization, and, and ease of use. I know uh, I've received a number of phone calls, emails, and comments of just how surprised people have been when somebody answers the phone at 7 p.m. on a Sunday night during the application period. People think they're going to leave a message. or um, So I, 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 I like surprising people, and um, we've been doing a pretty good job of that lately. And it's exciting to be a part of. I was here helping answer phones. I, a lot of us were, and oh, it's yeah. just exciting to hear when you answer a phone and someone's just happy that they're talking to a person. So like you said, everything we're doing, we're just trying to make it easier for the customer, easier for people to get their applications in. So a lot to look forward to coming in 2020. Yeah, I think the website is going to be a big project. We're going to have a lot of uh, a lot of work ahead of us with making sure that's crystal clear to everybody. And, you know, the timing of when we roll that out is going to be very important. And uh, it'll Lots be a good year. Lots of work, yeah. but it's going to be good. Yeah. So a lot of exciting things. Well, thank you, Tony, for coming in and taking some time and talking to us. Oh, thank you guys. I always appreciate the opportunity to engage and interact with you guys and share with your listeners uh, some of the things that have happened and some of the things we're working on and where we're hoping to go in the future. So welcome any opportunity to come back and visit with you. Of course, we'll get you back in here soon. Thank you so much for everyone listening. That does it for this week's Nevada Wild. Join us again next week for our next adventure, Nevada Wild. It's a production of the Nevada Department of Wildlife.